in a year that has been so improbable, the impossible has happened. A shot on Elo. Good! The Bulls win! You know what time it is. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic. into a sped up like you're almost an auctioneer with the way that you say the intro now i can i I like it oh well thanks i didn't just like auctioneer-esque i hadn't really thought about it sounding like that but that's interesting that time that time it had the essence i thought oh okay like if you squinted and you kind of cocked your head a little bit you could see an auctioneer you're like oh auctioneer mitch okay yes so Have you ever I, thought about that as a as a future career path? You know, I've actually this is this is like not for comedic relief or anything. Like this is like a legitimate, honest to god story. I've watched videos on YouTube on how to like have that cadence and talk like that, and um, I don't think I'm cut out for it. Really, I, it it is difficult. It is really di- there's they have auctioneer schools where like you go to class to like become an auctioneer. What sort of requisite skill sets would one need to have to be naturally gifted enough to like pursue auctioneering? Like, what, I don't you think know. it's that. Na- I don't think it's natural gift. I think it's a lot of practice. Like qu- loose tongue, or like you've got like I, I don't like your jaw bones. Organizational like- skills. I think you gotta be super organized because like you gotta keep true. track of everything that's going on around you. And yeah, I very good point. Quick thinkers. Very quick thinkers, quick reactions. Yeah, I you're mean, a little more methodical. I, that is true. I mean, that, that is, is true. auctioneers are the athletes of talking. Like <laughs> so, auctioneers are the hundred meter sprint. They, they're of like talking. they are the Olympic athletes of talking. Like the the, the hand eye, the the mouth coordination. It's all got to come together. If podcasting was the marathon of talking, auctioneering is the 40-yard dash. You oh, know? It's... 100%. <laughs> That's incredible. All right. And that was a uh, that was a beautiful transition. I don't know why. I don't know. I, love... I just got auction. Listen, all, I'm, I just got auctioneering vibes. I just wanted to comment on it. That's all. Oh, here okay. we go. Here we go. We're t- two minutes in and going great. Well, and yes, hey, I'm like, I like that we like spend the first like two and a half minutes of this podcast just Talking about whatever, just like whatever comes to mind, I feel like it's a it's a good way to loosen up a little bit. I like it. Yeah, I always feel I always feel loosened up by the time we jump in. I hope the listeners enjoy it and they're not like, please just right. move forward, idiots. Talk <laughs> sports, dance, monkey dance, <laughs> whatever you're doing. It's fine. Okay, guys, it's time. We'll 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 straighten up here uh, and we'll get into this podcast because Mitch, a big weekend of football last weekend championship conference championship weekend uh and we have our our super bowl matchup the kansas city chiefs and tampa bay buccaneers and uh we'll have plenty of time to get into that super bowl matchup today we're going to get into the games though 
what happened and what went wrong mainly for the Packers and the Bills, uh, maybe where they go uh, moving forward, some news uh, stuff here and there, and then uh, another Mount Rushmore. Mitch, what uh, what city are we doing this week for Mount Rushmore? We are headed to Oaktown, baby. We're going to Oakland. Yes. Uh, so we, we were going to do the Bay Area as one, but we figured that there was enough athletes in the city of Oakland that they probably weren't their own Mount Rushmore. So we split them up. We're doing Oakland today. Um, I don't know if we're doing San Francisco next week. I don't know what the plan is. But for today... Going to Oaktown, baby. Yeah, it seemed fair enough to split them up. Just, you know, you look at the franchises, there's a lot of great players. We'd be leaving a ton of really talented players out if we combined it all. So why do that? You know, yeah. like we like we, we are we're all about inclusivity here on the we sports are an equal hour opportunity podcast. <laughs> exactly. You get it. Mitch. Mitch gets it. Podcast, he yeah. is he is with the brand, the company branding here. He absolutely gets it. Yes. So uh, Mitch, let's let's jump right in. Uh, to these games, and let's start with the early game on Sunday in the NFC Championship game. It's Tampa Bay. Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers taking down the Green Bay Packers 31-26. to I want to start off by saying this, Mitch. I was a doubter. I was a doubter of Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this season. I thought they would be good. I projection I think was like 10 and 6. I thought they'd be a winning team, a playoff team, but I didn't expect them to be an NFC Championship game and uh team and I and I didn't expect them to be a Super Bowl team and yet here they are and and that in and of itself has proved me wrong. So I did want to eat crow on that that I doubted and I wasn't going to buy into the Bucks. In this year one, with all this turnover, having not seen Tom Brady in a new system or just a new team in general, uh, and it has worked really well, and it's a credit to not only Tom Brady and his age, but also this team around him. I mean, the offensive weapons he has, but mainly, Mitch, this defense, which truly, truly won the game for the Buccaneers on Sunday. This was a statement by the Bucks defense and by Todd Bowles, who is the defensive coordinator there in Tampa Bay, uh, a statement that they are here to play uh, and they're going to bring it ne- uh, next week against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. Uh, this defense was really good on Sunday. Well, first of all, I want to say that you weren't, I don't think you were wrong for not jumping on that Tampa Bay bandwagon because we got duped. I by mean, Cleveland. I was because they made it. Well, right? no, but so. I, well, no, because you've been fooled by that before with the Cleveland Browns, where they have this assimilation of talent, and and we get so excited about it, and then it's disappointing. I I get why you don't want to didn't want to jump on the Tampa Bay train just because it, it was almost like a fool me once, shame on me, or shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Don't you. I get why you didn't want to jump on Tampa Bay. I don't think you're wrong in that. But you're absolutely correct. Um, This Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense absolutely shut the run game down for the Green Bay Packers. Um, Aaron Rodgers is the MVP. Um, We knew no matter where, you know, who he was playing, he was going to throw the ball well, which he did. 33 for 48, 346, three touchdowns. He had the one interception, but sacked five times. Sacked five times. That's a lot. That's a lot of times to be taken down. Um, in the court throughout the course of a game, and then uh, the Green Green Bay never really got anything going on the ground. Um, Aaron Jones six for twenty seven, Jamal Williams seven for twenty three, AJ Dillon three for seventeen. Um, just uh, 
complete domination by Tampa Bay's defense. Yeah, it re- it really was, uh, in a very impressive performance. And uh, when you look at this from Graham- Green Bay's perspective, and that's what we'll focus on today. Next week, we'll get into the Super Bowl preview and what makes uh, the Bucks such a good team and a dangerous matchup for Patrick Mahomes and everything. But uh, focusing from the Green Bay perspective, Mitch, uh, this is this is tough. I mean, this is now. 0-4 in NFC Championship games since the lone Aaron Rodgers Super Bowl birth and win, right? Uh, so you have a decade, uh, you know, pass. Four times you get to the NFC Championship game, and every time you come up short. And the excuse before was it was Mike McCarthy, right? It was this, you know, whatever around him. You get in Matt LaFleur back-to-back 13-3 and seasons, back-to-back NFC Championship games, and back-to-back failures, <laughs> to get past it and get to the Super Bowl again. Uh, and then all of a sudden, it, it's, it's strange because going into this week, I wasn't thinking about uh, the future of the Packers and what the makeup was around that team and the shortcomings of that team. It was a, it, it, They were playing at a really high level and everything was rolling well for them. Now, all of a sudden, this loss, it's like, wow, don't we, don't we remember that they traded up for a first-round quarterback? They took A.J. Dillon early. They didn't address any of these needs. And sure enough, all they were able to do was accomplish what they did last year with essentially the same team. I, I, it's a really fascinating situation in Green Bay, Mitch. It is. I, I don't know what the answer to this is. I I know there's a lot of talk about Aaron Rodgers leaving Green Bay and, and that there's still some speculation out there that that might happen. I know he was on um, the Pat McAfee show earlier this week and, and said, I don't see a reason why I wouldn't be back. Um, but um, that could be him just playing down the scenario also. Um, but you're absolutely right. If, if they want Aaron Rodgers to stick around, they have to address the needs, which is wide receiver. You have to get someone else outside of Devontae Adams because Mar- while, Mar- while he finds a way to make Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Alan Lazard and Robert Tunyon effective pieces of the offense that's not necessarily who you want to look to as your second option outside of Devonte Adams they have to address the need on offense at the wide receiver position and you know what and to be honest they have to they still have to address some defensive pieces they're still missing a lot defensively and it was very self-evident in that first half um defense did not play well um second half they definitely turned it up uh green bay actually out scored uh, Tampa Bay in the second half 16 to 10 um so playing from behind the entire night or the entire day so this wasn't a night game but um you know they they have some they have some things that they need to address and uh they blew it last year with such a loaded offensively talented draft that now I feel like that they're going to be in a tough position to do that this coming draft yeah it's just it's, it's, Especially I, at the I, back end of the first round. I can't imagine how frustrated Aaron Rodgers is. And this is why I understand what he said in the post game when, like, this is how I look at it, Mitch. It's like, all right, we went 13 and 3 last year. Everybody t- said, no, we actually were like the worst 13 and 3. We were actually like a 9.7 win team or some, whatever the, you know, advanced numbers say. They go to the NFC Championship game and they got handled uh, by San Francisco and just obliterated in the run game. They go, you turn around this year, and Aaron Rodgers plays at an MVP level, 13-3 and three again. The team is just playing at such a better level. 
and it didn't matter because you got to the same stage and you failed yet again. And if you're Aaron Rodgers, what do you add? Like, what else is there to do? Because you had an opportunity to address those needs in the offseason. And you had a draft last year that had so much wide receiver depth. I mean, look at the second, third round guys. Guys like Chase Claypool. T. Higgins, who was a uh, early second pick. Uh, you have so many guys that played at a very high level that contributed in year one in this class that we can look at and see. And just imagine if the Packers would have took one of those guys instead of trading up for Jordan Love, a backup quarterback. After your, And then your quarterback goes and plays at MVP level. If you're Aaron Rodgers, why would you have confidence in the Green Bay Packers moving forward to put the pieces around you to win? Like, they had the opportunity, they didn't do that, and you guys still fell short. Like, clearly you need help, and the team didn't care to give you that help last season. All they cared about was looking ahead at quarterback, at running back, and what the future held, and not what the team could do now. And if if I was Aaron Rodgers, I would not, you know, like, it would make sense for him to maybe perhaps look elsewhere and it maybe it doesn't work out the contract that's a lot that's a that's a lot of money do you find a suitor what's the price tag I mean that's way complicated but you have to I mean we can understand why he would have those sort of frustrations now and why Green Bay needs to you know make some big changes moving forward uh, yeah I mean they definitely need to make some I mean what Green Bay to me just seems like they're interested in putting together great regular seasons, making deep playoff runs, but not getting it all the way done. Right. Um, like the Super Bowl isn't the goal, I guess. If we I mean, get I don't to know. The like if we keep, get to the yeah. NFC title game, it's a successful year. But like, if you're getting there, you know, at not every year, but at a fairly frequent rate, I mean, it's not like we're shocked when the Packers make an NFC title game. If you're getting there fairly frequently over the last decade, went four times in the last decade, then why aren't you going out and making the next step? Why aren't you trying to go out and get the next thing that's going to push you just over the edge to get into a Super Bowl and and contend to win the Lombardi Trophy? I, it, I'm, I'm 100% on board with you. Um, if I were Aaron Rodgers, I think this is a great opportunity to come back home. This is a great opportunity to to go to San Francisco, who I think is really looking forward to moving on from Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, he has always said that he would like to come back home and play uh, for the team that he was a fan of growing up. Um, he It was the team that he thought was going to draft him. They thought he was going to take him you know, number one overall when they went with Alex Smith in 2005. So, um, it, you know, this is... Was it 05 or 06? I can't remember. I think it was an 05. I think it was the 05 draft. But this seems like the perfect opportunity for Aaron Rodgers to go to San Francisco, get a fresh start, um, and really focus on what would probably be probably be the last few chapters of his career um, because San Francisco has a solidified defense. Um, they do have a successful run game. I, I think that this is a the San Francisco 49ers are a team that are interested in putting weapons around a quarterback. They just haven't had a very good quarterback over the last few years. And Aaron Rodgers would be the answer to that. I don't think the right move is to leave green Bay. If I'm Aaron Rodgers, you need to leverage this into them actually making moves on the roster to put more weapons around you and to shore up the holes that they do have. But I considering 
You made the NFC Championship game back-to-back seasons with this coach and this roster. You've got a top talent at wide receiver. You've got great offensive line. You've got stars on defense, a great defensive line. Listen, the the second level, that's where the concern is. You've got Jair Alexander on the outside. He is great. They toasted Kevin King all day, right? You've got to shore up some of the secondary pieces. They're thin at linebacker. They They need somebody in the middle, a leader in the middle. There are holes still on this team. It isn't perfect, but you did make an NFC Championship game back to back seasons. So clearly you can win 13 games and get here. You need something else to push you uh, ahead of that. And I think that Green Bay is capable of doing that, but they need to actually make those changes and and get those players on the roster around their MVP quarterback. I don't think San Francisco would necessarily be a better destination just because it makes sense on paper what you'd have to give up to get there. How does that hinder the team in the future? Once you start adding the money on contracts and how does everybody fit into that? Who has to leave so Aaron Rodgers can be there? Uh, Now all of a sudden team's not as good. I mean, there are a lot of factors into it. I think he's best suited to stay in Green Bay, but they need more. And this is, I, I, I am frustrated for Aaron Rodgers that it's this, it's another year and it's the same thing. It's the same result after another 13 and three season falls short in the NFC championship game with the same flaws that you had a year ago. It's just frustrating. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's frustrating as not even a Packer fan, but just an Aaron Rodgers right, fan. Right. I can't imagine how Packers, I know Jordan, our friend Jordan Fox, Packers fan, my sister, Distraught. Kayla, huge Packers fan. I mean, you know, Angela, our friend Angela, Packers fan, you know, I we know quite a few Packers fans and I can't imagine how frustrated you are and I get it. Oh, I, we are frustrated with you here on the Sports Hour and we hope that the Packers do what it takes to build this sort of team around this guy. Because clearly they can almost get there. Like, they're that close. And, uh, you know, had they made it to the Super Bowl, I think you and I would have felt like they had a legitimate shot to beat Kansas City. Like, a legitimate shot to win a Super Bowl this season. That's how close they are. But they have to invest in their quarterback now, and they need to stop looking ahead to the future. Because you're going to waste what you have now if you do that. Well, okay, so let's talk about, I think, probably the biggest question. The, that 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 was that came at the end of this game before we before we move on um why would you kick the field goal because uh, you're an idiot why That's aren't you why, go, why aren't, why why, aren't you going for it on fourth down with Aaron How does Rodgers that as make quarterback? Sense? you have to why aren't you doing anyways that? you have to score a touchdown anyways if you <sighs> kick the field goal it's five points that math doesn't even check out you just turned a one-possession game into a two-possession game by simply kicking the field goal. By Right, by it, it forcing doesn't... yourself to score twice. You force yourself. I mean, listen, it's fourth and eight, but like you, if you don't get it there, now you've got, they got the ball at the eight, and now you got to rely on your defense. Well, guess what? You just kicked the ball back to your, de- you had to rely on your defense anyways. Well, you put no, them in a better not position. Only, not only that. You know, not giving only them that. The, the ball with 92 yards of field ahead of them. I mean, come on. Not only that. You're relying on your defense. Sure, they're playing a great second half. That's fine. And you're kicking the ball back. That's okay to take a gamble and roll the dice on defense. But you're kicking the ball back to Tom freaking Brady. Right, right. like we haven't seen this before. It's a like, Super Bowl, what, Wait, what are you thinking? <laughs> like, come on. Like, Did they not read You don't the give game Tom plan? Brady <laughs> the ball with two and a half minutes left, and he needs to go down and, and to seal it and get some first downs. It's, you don't do that. It's not... Jameis Winston on the box anymore, guys. We gotta remember. And I, it's you know, Tom Brady. And Matt Lafleur is a young coach, and he's gonna make mistakes. But this one is this is a bad one. 
You this is a really bad one. This this blew their this blew any shot that they had of going to a Super Bowl. That was yeah, the, that was I, the game defining yeah. moment. Yeah, that, there's that no saying totally they were going to win sealed. that game, but yes, you're absolutely right. Once they did that, they had no shot. Yes, you know that was it. I mean, walk. I mean, even if you get the first down, and now you know, there, what was it? Fourth and two, and they're on the eight. So like, no, no. So it was fourth and goal. Oh, was it fourth and goal? It's fourth, fourth and goal from the eight yard line. I thought it was fourth yeah. and short. But. Fourth and goal from the eight yard line. But again, it's like you can't, It's you got to score a touchdown anyways. It's five point game. So what is the? Yeah, I guess you could go for the win now. But like, I mean, how does that help you? Like, that's. It's just it. It is. Just, it is. Just try to put it, yourself in a situation where you could, like, I don't know. You could at least hold your head high saying you went for it. Exactly. It's, it's, You've it's got a coward's Aaron way out. Rogers, the MVP of the 2020 NFL season, probably. Like that, and you can't trust that guy to go get you a play. And you know what? If they missed, if they missed it on fourth and goal, no one's going to go. Aaron Rodgers choked because exactly. No, because no one's going to because you get put yourself in that situation mm-hmm. and things just didn't happen. Exactly. And he's Aaron Rodgers and he's the MVP. But when you kick the field goal, you give yourself no shot. And I mean, what does that really say about your confidence? In your in your MVP quarterback to make a play there, I mean, or that, your ability to make decisions when it matters most. I yeah. mean, I, I don't know what it comes back on for Lafleur, but it is troubling to say the least. Oh yeah, just it's, that was it. A, just adds to the frustration for this team and and for their stars. And and Aaron Rodgers even you, alluded to this or sort of mentioned this post game that decision and said he didn't, you know. Didn't say anything, didn't have anything, you know, uh, say in it. I'm sure he was ready to go for it on fourth, but uh, it's just another reason why you look at this and it just... See, and that kind of stinks. That kind of, that smells fishy to me too, because like when you're Aaron Rodgers, you should have a say in what play you're calling there in that situation. Yes, and you when should you have, have Aaron Rodgers, you should be putting which, the, ha- the ball in me, the hands of your best player. Like, which tells should, me that know? maybe that, that it's... It's pretty well documented. It's no, it's no secret. Like the the relationship between Matt Lafleur and Aaron Rodgers hasn't always been smooth. So I mean, what is I mean? So what does this say really about the relationship right now between Lafleur and Rodgers? If in that situation he doesn't even have Rod let Rodgers really have a say in what they're calling there. I mean, yeah, it, it's it's not good. That's, that's not a is. good sign. Not a good it's, sign. It is. It is not. It's not good. It's it it is just it's it's simply just not good. But um, Mitch, I think that's enough for Tampa Bay Green Bay. Let's move to the AFC Championship game here. Uh, Kansas City back to back Super Bowl appearances for the Chiefs. They get it done against the Bills, thirty eight to twenty four. Uh, we had Patrick Mahomes in this game, and honestly, Mitch, he didn't look hindered at all. If we're being honest, uh, the Chiefs just did what the Chiefs did. Uh, they, they this was just a, a well executed game uh, on both sides of the ball for for Kansas City. Aggressive on defense, hyper aggressive, forcing Josh Allen to make quick reads, forcing Josh Allen to make plays, and that is exactly how you should game plan against Josh Allen as a young quarterback and the type of quarterback that he is. Uh, and 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 the Kansas City Chiefs defense made Josh Allen look like Josh Allen versus the Texans last last year in the playoffs. That's what he looked like at times in this game. And it showed to me, again, Bills, a very successful season, 13-3, and AFC Championship game, nothing to feel ashamed about, but there is still growth to be had before they reach that spot. And this is only 
going to be a growing experience and a learning experience for this team. So a positive moving forward, but it showed why the Chiefs are the class of not only the NFL, but the AFC and where the other teams in this conference uh, have to get to, namely the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, if if this was any sort of statement game, I mean, Buffalo Bills, very good team. If the rest of the AFC sees this game and it's like, this is the this is the level you have to achieve to beat the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, that that's terrifying for the Good rest luck. of the AFC. Yeah. Because um, it looks like Kansas City might be the new New England Patriots um, moving forward. That This next dynasty that might be sticking around. Um, yeah, I, I mean, the, Kansas City did exactly what they had to do uh, with a young quarterback. Put pressure on, put pressure on him, force him to make decisions. Um, Buffalo came out hot, had the big uh, had the big muff punt play. Miko Hardman, you know, muffs the punt right, right in front of the goal line. They recovered it for, they recover it right there. They go ahead and score a touchdown. Um, big extra point missed, by the way, by uh, Bass. Um, but it, you know, Buffalo has missing pieces, and this is something we've talked about almost every week when we talk about them. Is they don't have a reliable run game. And they need someone. They still need just one more guy outside of Stephon Diggs. John Brown and Cole Beasley are just fine, but they need one more guy next to Stephon Diggs. Um, you know, the defense is just fine. I mean, obviously, giving up 38 is never a good look, but you give up 38 to the most one of the most prolific offenses we've seen since the turn of the century. Um, this is uh, this is in no way a bad loss for the Bills, um, but uh, I think. A, a great learning experience for them. And, and I think the front office has now gotten a good gauge on what they need to get closer to that Kansas city chiefs level. Um, if they want to come back to another AFC title game next year and, and compete and compete a little bit harder, especially with Kansas city. No doubt, no doubt. And you, and you mentioned it, the running game has to get more consistent. We've met, we mentioned that throughout the season, that that was going to be a weakness for them and at some point, somebody it was gonna be their downfall potentially, and it's and that right. you know in part was true here on Sunday. I think the offensive line needs a lot of work too, and protecting and investing in protecting your quarterback. It's not a bad offensive line. I'm not saying that, but it could be better. You look at some of the teams. I mean, you look at all the other teams in the in the championship weekend, right? Tampa Bay, great offensive line. Green Bay, great offensive line. Kansas City, great offensive line. And Buffalo, clearly the fourth best of those four. So uh, a great offensive line gets you a long way. Investing there uh, is investing in your young quarterback. I think that's true. And the defense uh, does need to get better. But like you, like, like we've both mentioned, this is only positive for Buffalo. You think about it. Kansas City went to their first AFC Championship game and lost. And they lost to Tom Brady. Uh, and they learned from that. And here they are. They went to two more. And they've won both of those. So clearly they learned the lessons uh, from that uh, that night against the Patriots. And for Buffalo, you've got to learn these lessons. Uh, and, and that sort of measuring stick, as we've alluded to, in Kansas City and in Patrick Mahomes. And what you could do to build out of it. Again, like the Packers, there are holes on this roster. And all these teams have holes. Even the Super Bowl teams have holes. There, there, there are weaknesses there, but you have some clear holes. I think that you could patch with with uh, general improvement in your in your on your roster in a year's time. You could be back here all 
and and maybe moving on to the Super Bowl uh, that next weekend. So I, I agree with you. A positive, a great year for Buffalo, and I want to give them a lot of credit because thirteen and three, number two seed in the AFC, make it to the AFC Championship game. Josh Allen plays uh, as an MVP candidate this year. Uh, you know, really stepped out. Stephon Diggs, Diggs had a huge year. Best year for a wide receiver in Buffalo Bills history. A fantastic season for Buffalo and only more for them moving forward. Uh, They've got a a bright future. And and hopefully, Mitch, this is not the only Bills-Chiefs AFC Championship game we get because I could see these being fun for a long time. I I really like this matchup a lot. It's it's, (laughs) It's a fun, scrappy, and they were getting scrappy at the end, and it's like, yeah, next year, if this one's in Buffalo next year, let's say, and there's fans, oh, man, this could be be good. And I know over the last about, you know, 25 to 30 years, Buffalo's had these Comet teams is what I call them. Um, where they they flash into the playoffs and they're they're or they you know they put up a ten to six season they're exciting but then they kind of go away. I don't think this is the case for this team. I think this team's around to stay. They got good pieces here, and I think they're I think that this is a prime uh, opportunity for them to build upon that, and I'm confident in that. Uh, this Buffalo organization will do it. And I, I, I am excited to see future Bills Chiefs matchups in the playoffs because I think we're going to be seeing those for, for the next few years to come. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. All right, Mitch, uh, anything else with championship weekend here before we move on? Uh, no, I think we pretty well covered it. We'll get into, yeah. we'll get into Chiefs Bucks next week, but um, I'm, I, think I, I think we're ready to move on, man. Yes, that's good. Yeah, plenty of time to talk Super Bowl next week. And that's uh, next week's episode will, you know, basically, uh, you know, almost entirely be about the Super Bowl and previewing that. Mm -hmm. We'll be giving you that next week. Uh, But let's move on to a little bit of NFL news here. Uh, This broke last week, but we didn't get a chance to talk about it on the podcast. Philip Rivers retires uh, 17 seasons in the NFL for Philip Rivers. And, uh, you know, uh, 16 with uh, San Diego slash L.A., one with the Colts here this past season. Eight-time Pro Bowler for Phillip Rivers. Uh, Mitch does have more kids than Pro Bowls, which is surprising. Uh, is is he a Hall of Famer? First of all, that, that stat of more Pro Bowls than kids, or more kids than Pro Bowls. And he made eight Pro Bowls. I mean, it's not yeah. like he wasn't a one-timer. I mean, this guy <laughs> likes making babies. So good for him. <laughs> Apparently, he's pretty very good. nice, very nice, <laughs> Phil. Uh, but uh, is he a Hall of Famer? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, look, Dan Marino got into got into the Hall of Fame and didn't win any Super Bowls. He had a successful regular season career. In he fact, an MVP though. That helps. But yeah, he got one MVP. Okay. I mean that Phil uh, compared to Philip Rivers zero. I mean it's not like it's a it's a huge win over Philip Rivers. I mean they're pretty comparable actually when you look at it. I mean obviously different different eras that they played in. Um, but I I think Philip Rivers is a is a MVP or is a is a Hall of Famer. I think I would put him in. I think he is the standard for the very bottom of what like the bottom line of what you need to be to get into the Hall of Fame. I think Philip Rivers sure. is like the perfect example of that. And I think Philip Rivers will sneak in there. Um, but I don't think that anyone that plays below Philip Rivers sta- or just below Philip Rivers status gets in. 
Does that make I sense? Think that's a, yeah, I think that's a great way of putting that. Like, if, if there was a baseline for the Hall of Fame as a quarterback, it's Phillip Rivers, right? Like, that's the sort of guy, like, if you're not going to win an MVP and you're not going to win Super Bowls, then you've got to have a long career where you throw the shit out of the ball at a very high level. Yes. And that's what he did. That's that's what he did for 17 years. He 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 he, had, he threw the ball a ton. If you look at the passing statistics all time, he's going to be up there at all these. And part of that is the era, and, and more quarterbacks will join that. Even look at guys coming, you know, soon to the retire. You know, Matt Ryan, Matt Stafford, those Aaron Rodgers, like those sort of guys have big gaudy numbers, and it'll only continue past. But a guy who just always was one of the best quarterbacks in the league, even if he wasn't ever the best quarterback. Uh, in the league, so yeah, I think I, I think Philip Rivers is a is a Hall of Famer, and, and and honestly, I think all four of the quarter or all three of the quarterbacks, excuse me, from that 2004 class. Uh, if Rivers is a Hall of Famer, Roethlisberger and Manning are obviously Hall of Famers as well, and I think they all three deserve to get in. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, I, I was just gonna say, I mean, since Dan Marino retired, there's only been there's been five guys that have passed him in all time career touchdown passes. That's Tom Brady, Drew Brees. Peyton Manning, Brett Favre, and Philip Rivers. So mm, there you go. Um, it, Our boy Phil and Phil actually uh, just eked him out. He threw uh, Dan Marino threw four twenty. Philip Rivers threw four hundred and twenty one touchdown passes in his career. So, <laughs> That's amazing. That's um, amazing. So just getting into that top five. Good for Phil. Um, yeah, and honestly, one of the more likable guys in his career. I mean, his mic'd up. He he never cussed. He he, he didn't swear. And so that's what made his mic his mic'd up sessions. Gold, yeah, the the godly dadgummit, you know, it just, I mean, it was it was fantastic to listen to Mike Up, uh, one of the more likable guys, um, in his playing days, and uh, happy retirement to Philip Rivers. Uh, I think he's uh he's got a he's still got a future in football, uh, moving forward. It sounds like he's gonna go coach some high school football, maybe. Um, it looks like it. Yeah, he so, should probably spend time maybe like raising his children. I don't know. I would Maybe do that, that too. For a couple years. Because he's See going. How that goes. He's going back to. I think he's going back home to Alabama. So yeah, raise your children, and uh, and, uh, and don't be, make more. I be, think you're probably good. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got a lot there. Go be a dad. Go be a dad now. That's. That's way cooler than being an NFL quarterback anyways, being a dad. So I agree. I uh, agree. That's go, the sports hour advice for Philip Rivers for the rest yeah. of his career. Why, sage advice from from you and I. Sure. Yeah, because, you know, experienced fathers over here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is weird. Oh, We're only man. 12 years younger than this guy. And he's, you, like, wow. retiring for the rest and of his life. And he's got 12 children. I mean, that's crazy. Uh, We're falling right. behind, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. So, Indianapolis will be in need of a quarterback next season and one that might be available, Matthew Stafford. Uh, it was reported this week that Detroit and Stafford have agreed to part ways. They will. Uh, they have begin, begun fielding calls for potential trades. And now the speculation begins as to where Matthew Stafford would fit. And there are, Mitch, some very intriguing uh, sort of situations. When you look at Stafford, it's a veteran quarterback who was the number one overall pick out of Georgia. He spent his entire career in Detroit. and They've never succeeded. And it's not really been his fault. Injury has been part of it. And when he has not been healthy, they've been awful. But when he's been healthy, they've been decent to average, uh, and they've just never been able to put the right team or coaching staff around him. Uh, I look at destinations like Indianapolis, 
like Pittsburgh, potentially, like Washington, potentially, as uh, as fits for Matthew Stafford, a team that feels like it is a quarterback away, a, a competent quarterback away from competing uh, at a high level. Uh, it will be intriguing to see how his market forms with his contract and everything and at his age, but just another quarterback available in what will be a crazy carousel of quarterbacks in 2021. Yeah, uh, this is this is actually probably going to be one of the more intriguing um, free agency stories, purely based off the fact of like now he's actually committed to parting ways with this team. It's not like Deshaun Watson, where there's still a bunch of the speculation of, oh, well, is he going to leave Houston? Is he not going to leave Houston? You know, there's no speculation with Matt Stafford. He is a free agent, and so now we can actually start talking about landing spots for him. Well, he's not a free agent. Well, still under roster. Will have to be traded. Yes, yeah, so they mutually agreed to part ways. Or mutually agreed to part ways. So um, we know Matt Stafford is moving. Um, right. Indy's a, Indy would be a great spot. Um, I also like Denver. I like Denver a lot. Um, I know that that it, Matt Stafford probably wants to go to a team that's going to win right now. Um, so you know, Indy does seem like the best fit. Honestly, I was like, as I'm looking through all these teams, Indy does seem like the best fit. Another one I saw was Washington as a possible as a possible fit. Um, it just, uh, it, yeah, it, it, I don't think there's a whole lot to say right now because it's still a, a very uh, young and developing story. But um, it, there's going to be a lot to there's going to be a lot to look forward to as this uh, as this story develops on where Matt Stafford's going to land. No doubt. And on the flip side of that, when you look at Detroit, who sits at number seven in the NFL draft, would reasonably pick up, uh, you know, fair compensation for Matt Stafford and could use that to move up in the draft, take their quarterback of the future. So now you look at Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, that number two or three or four spot in the draft. Could Detroit make a move up there with this uh, sort of acquisition of draft capital uh, and flipping Matt Stafford? Would be really interesting to see and, and who they sort of have their eye on and how they become a player in the quarterback uh, race in the NFL draft you, will be Are you insinuating uh, Matt Stafford to the Jets? No, I'm not saying that that's the same trade. No, okay. I'm suggesting that let's say you flip Stafford to the Steelers for a late first and a th- uh, I don't know like a third next year. Oh, and then flipping right? the seventh and the first. And the exactly, first and then order. you couple the Steelers pick with seven to move up to three. Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. Or, you know, and, and so then and so now because you look at Detroit at number seven, they're sort of on the outside looking in. Depending on how everybody else feels about QBs, you might get stuck with Trey Lance, or you might not get any of the top four guys. I mean, they could all go that early. So at seven, kind of on the outside looking in. You know you'd have to move in the top five to have a legitimate shot at one of those top three guys. So if that if they're moving on from Stafford, then clearly they're thinking about the future and who they have their eye on and where they move up to potentially uh, will also be very intriguing in this. This feels like there's going to be uh, this is going to be an off season where a lot of teams are going to be taking on bigger contracts. Potentially, right? I mean, you look at and with these quarterbacks, I mean. Guys like Matt Stafford don't often be don't become available. I mean, he's a former number one pick who's been a franchise quarterback for a decade, 
right? I mean, like... It's honestly kept that team like, going 13-3 and three for yeah. decades. So. I mean, we're not talking about a scrub here. Detroit has been subpar at best, but Matt Stafford's an extremely talented quarterback who just situation has not been good for him. I mean, who the hell knows? He could go win Super Bowls wherever he goes. Like, he, he's talented enough to do that, I believe. Oh, and I yeah. still think that's true as long as he's healthy. So, uh, yeah, you're right. It... it you know, the sort of drastic, the names we're talking about with Deshaun, Deshaun Watson potentially being available. The the, ca- the caveat there is the trade clause, the no trade clause with Deshaun. He will have say over where he goes. Matt Stafford, obviously no, no, no trade clause. He will get sent, you know, I guess in theory, wherever Detroit wants to send him. Uh, you know, and then even these rumors about Aaron Rodgers potentially being on the move, uh, just so much quarterback intrigue now. It's just fun. It's just fun. We love to speculate, don't we? Oh yeah. As people, we just love this stuff. Oh yeah. We love to speculate. We love to make up our own rumors. Give me Deshaun Watson photoshopped into every other NFL team's uniforms, you know, for the past week. Why not? And please photoshop them into a Bears one and let that one be the (laughs) real one. (laughs) <laughs> oh. oh man okay last little bit of nfl uh this is a coaching hire we have one more coaching hire yeah from this past week that's nick sirianni to the philadelphia eagles he was uh the indianapolis colts offensive coordinator for the last three seasons under frank reich uh previously spent time with the chargers and the chiefs offensive assistant wide receivers coach quarterbacks coach here in there uh, had experience with frank reich in san diego uh, and I think like 2013-14, how he ended up in Indianapolis and now heads over to be the new uh, head honcho in Philadelphia, Mitch. This was sort of, I don't want to call this a bad hire and I don't want to call this head scratching because that seems mean to Nick Sirianni. And I don't mean to uh, belittle him in any sort of way, but a 39-year-old guy, uh, you know, doesn't have, has a decade plus in the NFL of experience uh, but only three years as a coordinator, uh, the last three years as OC in Indianapolis, 39 years old, uh, will be interesting to see how this goes. But this did, did sort of feel like the first move that you and I were not like 100%. Oh, yeah, that's a that's a really solid hire. I had questions not only about the hire itself, but the other available candidates and what else maybe Philadelphia could have done. Yeah, I feel like they just could have pursued, you know, guys that are going to be are more you know better suited or more well suited better suited to be uh, head coaches in the NFL right now um i know brian dable pulled his name from the last two vacancies so he right. he didn't have any interest in going into in, it had didn't have any interest in going to philly and uh oh shit who's the last one houston houston who has still not uh, yeah. filled their head coach so vacancy. he had no interest there so he's going back um you know, like you said, it's not a bad hire. Um, Frank Reich speaks very highly of the guy. Um, he actually does have about 10 years of, of NFL, you know, almost actually 11 years of NFL experience. Um, and three of those as a, as a coordinator. So he's not the least qualified guy. I just feel like that there were probably better hires Philly could have gone out and pursued. You and I just look at Eric Bieniemy and just say, "How did that?" And, and listen, like, and the, interest, but is that been, there's a lot of factors. Like, 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 there's a lot of factors into hiring a coach, and not every guy is a fit for every job. And like, we get that, but like, it just feels like there were 
there were other guys that it just would have made more sense, I guess. And 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 who knows? We'll see. I, I don't guess know. I, just I wasn't a fan of Sean McVay, and McVay, you know, that's probably worked out fine for Los Angeles. So what the hell do I know? You well, know? And we but, talked about Brandon Staley last week, and you know, maybe, sure, maybe yeah. how how you know not on board I was with the Brandon Staley hire, but like. I guess I just I'm so frustrated that Eric Bieniemy still doesn't have a head coaching job that I'm like really Nick Sirianni like there was so yeah, there was I, a way better option in Eric Bieniemy but and actually in hindsight with how poorly this Philly organization has been run over the last few years I'm actually glad Eric Bieniemy's not there so no no doubt because and I he, he deserves might have pulled his name out like Dable did for the last two I, I, well, jobs good for him and he's because, not even. He doesn't he's not even that. really available to be hired because his team is still in the playoffs now going to the Super Bowl. That also makes uh, the, the sort of hiring process there difficult for teams. Uh, and maybe that's what Houston is waiting for. Houston has not hired anyone yet, and maybe they have their eye on one of these coaches that was maybe not only in the conference championship weekend, but potentially a Super Bowl team. Uh, and maybe that's why they've waited to hire their guy. It remains to be seen uh, who they end up with. But that does play a factor in this coaching uh, uh, sort of carousel. And ultimately, teams went in other directions outside of the Dables and the BNMEs, uh because those teams remained in the playoffs and they couldn't get interviews with them. And that may not be fair. Uh, ultimately, better off for BNME to wait till next year and maybe have first pick uh, of the best opportunities available as a as a new head coach. I mean, I just I what's really gonna suck is we're gonna have all these other sports anal, all these other you know sports shows that are gonna talk about how Eric Bieniemy was snubbed again. And it's like, well, look, dude, like he didn't like. Would you want to go coach in Houston right now? Would you want to go coach in Philadelphia right now? Like, I understand why he didn't get those jobs, probably because he doesn't want them. And I and I would understand that. It just, it, yeah, I'm with you, man. Just uh, if he if he stays another year in Kansas City, I think that's going to be best for him because he there's just not really a good opening for him left. Yeah, no doubt. And we don't know what uh, you know sort of availabilities will be open next year, but uh, most likely probably better than. Uh, you know, the sort of the, the very messy situations we find in Philly uh, and Houston. Mitch, that's it for the NFL news. We're going to take a quick break, uh, go to a mid-roll. When we come back, uh, we're going to do a little NBA, a little MLB, and then our Mount Rushmore of the week, which, uh, as Mitch mentioned earlier, is the city of Oakland. So stick around out of this break. We'll be right back. Thanks for checking out the Sports Hour today. We appreciate you wherever you're listening. But if you haven't already, we recommend you check us out and give us a listen on Anchor. Anchor allows us to provide the best product to you. You can go support the Sports Hour and become a permanent part of the show, like my saint of a mother, Sammy, and my father, David, did. You can even leave us voice messages with your thoughts and opinions that we can use on the show. Prove to us that you know better than me and Mitchmo. Moral of the story, people, be more like Sammy and David. Go find us at anchor.fm slash the sports hour, guys, and become a part of the conversation. What the hell are you waiting for? Welcome back to the sports hour with Mitchmo and Dallin. Uh, just had all the NFL stuff talked about in the previous segment. Now we're going to be moving on to some NBA, Dallin, and 
Um, January 26th, uh, that date now has a very uh, different meaning than it did uh, just one year ago. It, it means something different now. And uh, I, you being the, the resident uh, Laker fan, uh, I just would like you to uh, go ahead and run with this one and elaborate on this. Yeah, yeah, obviously yesterday. So we're recording this on Wednesday, the 27th. Uh, yesterday, the 26th, was the one-year anniversary of Kobe's uh, tragic passing, uh, along with his daughter, Gianna, and uh, and all those aboard that helicopter. And it, it was it was somber to, to remember that yesterday. It also was just a little jarring to think that it had only been a year, <laughs> right? Like, Oh, yeah. It had only been a calendar year since Kobe had passed. It feels like ages ago, and 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 everything that has happened in the world and, and in our lives in the last year, uh, and 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 Kobe's passing sort of, uh, in a lot of ways, for me, spark you know initiated what was a crazy 2020. Uh, it sort of began with with this uh, with his sudden passing that Sunday morning, uh, and you know a, a year, a year into I guess. Kobe being gone, it, it feels, it, it's fun to remember Kobe. It's fun to have that um, remembrance of just the work ethic that he had. And that's the biggest takeaway I've always had from Kobe is as a motivator, motivating me to be better, to reach better heights, to outwork others. And that's just what he did. Kobe just outworked everybody. That's how we became the best player in the league uh, during his time was just outworking guys and out hustling guys and wanting it more than everybody else. And that's a lesson all of us can take away from it. It's a beautiful lesson of Kobe Bryant's life, which is not only about hard work, but also about uh, redemption in a lot of ways, about learning and growing and watching a kid grow before our eyes, become a man, become a father, uh, and, you know, learn life's lessons, go through dark lows, but arise above and become a better man. Uh, is beautiful to watch in his short life and uh, fun to remember that not only yesterday but today and and take those sort of lessons in my life moving forward. I feel like in this last year, Kobe's greatness has has uh, just increased tenfold. Um, I feel I feel like as as we remember Kobe, not just as the player but as the as the human and the and the father and the and the person that he was, um, and you know, continues to be in people's lives even today after he's gone. Um, his greatness um, beyond the game of basketball just continues to grow. And and what he meant not only for the sport, um, but for sports as a whole, um, that, you know, that's where, you know, this is where kind of the phrase girl dad really uh, be, kind of became popular. And, and uh, you know, it, and, uh, you know, this is just, uh, this is the, this this was the man, and it, it it is hard to believe that you know he's been gone um, a year now. Uh, I remember being at work and and during work I had the memorial playing and I was listening to it. It, it that seems like years ago. It doesn't even seem yeah. like a year ago. So seriously, um, you know, just uh, you know, I I don't I don't think we're ever gonna get over missing Kobe. Um, but it is it is kind of cool now to, to continue to look back and remember the guy for um, not just his basketball accolades, but what this guy was as a human being as well. Yeah. And what he inspired people to do. And you look at the NBA today and the players that exist in the NBA, all of these young guys looked up to Kobe Bryant. All of them grew. I mean, you and I grew up 
looking up to Kobe Bryant. When I was shooting threes on the schoolyard, I thought I was Kobe. Like that, and that is the same generation that exists in the NBA today. His style of play, his mentality, uh, what he stood for on the basketball court is evident all over the NBA today. And I think that, more than anything, is a beautiful testament to the legacy of Kobe Bryant. Uh, that he influenced a generation of hoopers to play a certain way, to have a certain mentality, uh, to want to work hard and, and outdo everybody. Uh, and I, it's a great thing to watch. And, and it's uh, as a result, we have some of the great uh, players uh, in the league today, which is just so much fun. I can remember, you know, being a young fat, being a young sports fan and growing up with those, uh, those early 2000s Kings teams. And me being a fan of the Kings and me being a Kobe hater. <laughs> and um and as I got older and and you know, Kobe had retired and, and and all that stuff, I grew to appreciate his his silent confidence. He wasn't a trash talker. It, it was a very silent confidence and and he would do just these little he had these little nuances, these little things that he would do just to get under his opponent's skin. Um, without being a loudmouth and without being a trash talker, and I, as I, as I've gotten older and watched that part of Kobe's game uh, again in replay, um, from as a sports fan, I, I've grown to uh, to appreciate Kobe a hell of a lot more now, um, just to remember part of his, you know, his playing days. But I, I think that spoke to him as a person too. Is uh, he wasn't looking for recognition; he was he was just looking to do the next great thing. And uh, that, that was Kobe the guy. Yeah, and I'll always remember the stories that LeBron and Chris Paul and others told about their time with him during the Olympics and how hard he worked during the Olympics. Like, the Olympics that, you know, the USA usually cruises to. And it's LeBron and Melo and Wade and all the, you know, it's like, you know, all these coasting. And, and Kobe was still there in the gym at 4 a.m. every day, outworking everybody, oh, you know. Yeah. And, and, and when, when you see a guy like that in that element taking it that seriously, uh, it just went, you know, that proves more than anything who, who he was and what he stood for. So it, it is great. Love to reminisce about Kobe. Uh, it is always fun. And uh, we do miss him. Uh, but we enjoy the legacy and the lessons that he taught us while he was here. That's right. T January 26th will always be Kobe Bryant Day here on the Sports Hour. So. No doubt. No doubt, Mitch. We got to talk a little baseball here before we get to Mount Rushmore. We don't talk about baseball a ton, especially during the offseason. Not usually a ton to really talk about, right? kind of, you know, We got to kind of wait for things to, to get moving. But uh, so, some sort of controversial news uh, this week. Uh, the uh, voting for the 2021 Baseball Hall of Fame class uh, occurred this week, and there was not a single uh, player qualified to be in this class. Nobody reached the 75% voting threshold to be elected to the Hall of Fame. So the 2021 Baseball Hall of Fame class will have zero Hall of Famers, Mitch. Uh, we look at some of the guys that just fell short. The most notable is Kurt Schilling, who was at 71.1%. Uh, so just short, right, of that 75%, you had Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens behind him, both at uh, over 61%. All three of those players rounding into what will be their last year of eligibility. And now Kurt Schilling has said he wants his name removed from the ballot uh, in in sort of anger or, I guess, in protest. I don't understand exactly. Uh, in, in response, I guess, 
to uh, what has happened here, Mitch. Uh, your thoughts on all of this? This just seems really weird, if anything. No, good for Kurt Schilling. Uh, I think the Hall of Fame voting process is a joke. I think they have a bunch of old heads in there that they need. They need to. They need to look at like Kurt Schilling had a Hall of Fame career. And I will pull up Kurt Schilling's statistics gladly if you want me to support that and back that up. But Kurt Schilling should have been in a couple years ago. Um, there's actually four other guys on here that I'm looking on this list that should be in. And and granted, I grew up with two of these guys. Well, I grew up watching all four of these guys. But uh, two of these guys were kind of in my era. Um, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens should be in. Forget the steroid era. Just forget 100%. it. 100%. Everyone did it. State, I've, yeah, I've, on the, I've pivoted. On the Sports Hour now, we are in agreement. Schilling, Bonds, and Clemens should have been elected this year. Or, you know, years before. But, at the, you know, should have been elected this year. They're at all least. over 60%. But those three are no doubt Hall of Famers. Steroids aside, these guys are monumental to the story of the game. Look, everyone and what did it. it and, 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 and what it meant and what they accomplished on the field, regardless of steroids, Look, absolutely the Hall of Fame. Everyone did it in that era. Everyone, everyone, right. and and the guys that that didn't test positive for steroids, they just didn't get caught because everyone did it. <laughs> right. Everyone did it. And to be honest with you, Dallin, that was the most exciting era of baseball. It was in history. Baseball's boring now. No one cares. Maybe they mid should be mid nineties to mid two thousands baseball was yeah. so much fun because right. guess what? Guys were cheating, and you know what? When you get some old heads that don't like cheating, and you don't like someone trying to get away with something, that sucks. And you know what? I understand performance enhancing drugs detrimental to their health. That's fine. But guess what? That's their choice. If they want to do that just to hit more home runs, I really don't care. That Barry Bonds and Roger well, Clemens would have been Hall of Fame players before they did roids. So, yeah, well, listen, we're punishing them retrospectively for it now, and that's what's wrong. Like, it's one thing when they were playing, but now that we agreed it was wrong and we knew that they were doing it, now that they're eligible for the Hall of Fame, now we're punishing them for doing those wrong things then. that This is not the time or the avenue in which we should be punishing players for what they did in this case. If every, Like you said, everyone was doing it. It was a part of baseball. It's what existed. It doesn't take away from what they were able to do and the numbers that they put up and what they meant to the game. I mean, let's, let's just look at Barry Bonds' statistics before... He was suspected of taking steroids. Let's let's call that 1997, okay? I think like 98 was like the peak of like the home the steroid suspicion because that was the McGuire Sosa home run race was 98. So he was averaging you know 30 40 home runs a year. He was averaging over 100 RBIs. He was well at you know well into the 140 hit range. He was still drawing a, a massive amount of walks because guess what? He was also just a really good hitter. He was, he was a great defensive player as well. He was a I mean, great, a fantastic defensive player. And he was a great base runner, too. I mean, he was a great – this guy before 1998 was stealing between 29 and 50 bases a year. So this was a – he was also a three-time MVP before then. So this guy was a Hall of Famer before he did roids. Way before he did roids. He's the all-time leader – and not in home runs, and obviously that's going to be the statistic that's disputed. But he's also the all-time leader in walks. He's the all-time leader in intentional walks because no one wanted to pitch to him. 
even before he did roids. No one wanted to pinch to him. If you look at 1998 as the year that we're going to start speculating that he took steroids, he led the league in intentional walks the three previous years leading up to that. Led the league in walks in the three previous years leading up to that. He led the league... Uh, well, I guess intentional walks. Yeah, he led the league in intentional walks from nineteen from nineteen ninety two to nineteen ninety eight. This guy was a feared hitter, regardless of whether he was doing steroids or not. Put him in the hall, and Roger Clemens. I don't. I'm not going to pull up his statistics for this for the sake of time, but you can make Those similar arguments. Those three guys are just this. clear. They're just clear Hall of Famers. And that it just makes it just is illogical to look at those guys and say those aren't some of the greatest players we've ever seen. Regardless of the steroids you or not, can't. it just really you just cannot say that. And if we're punishing them for taking and performance enhancing drugs now by not letting them in the Hall of Fame, then I think that's wrong. And I don't think that's that is what the Hall of Fame is supposed to be for. It is supposed to honor the best players in the game, and these three are among that group. 100%. Full stop. Yes. So, uh, we'll see what happens. One more year of eligibility for them, as we alluded to. Kurt Schilling uh, has... Oh, uh, by the way, the other... ...reportedly requested to be taken off. The Baseball Writers of America have asked the Hall of Fame to keep him on the ballot regardless. Uh, Who knows how that'll all shake out into the future, but... Oh, because now, you know, next year's the magic year where he gets in? Like, come on. Like that that just seems that just seems petty on the, on the, and this is why the Hall of Fame voting needs to be just it needs there 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 needs to be a new system. There needs to be a new system to Hall of Fame voting. I know it, it involves a lot of baseball writers and baseball analysts and Hall of Fame contributors, but like th- this needs to be this, this needs to be fixed because uh I guess it's just I don't know. They don't align with my opinion, Dallin. That's what I'm saying. That's pretty much no, what I'm I mean, saying. Li- I mean, it just it, like yes, the majority of America's ultimate- opinion. I think majority of people would say Schilling, Bonds, Clemens, no doubters. The other two that I wanted to say was Omar Vizquel should be in. Todd Helton should be in. But the, the big three, Schilling, Bonds, Clemens, that those are no brainers, and they they still get snubbed, and they get the whole steroid thing, and it, it it's bullshit, man. It's bullshit. Yeah, it's again, it just it just it's as simple as you look at those guys. Are they some of the greatest players we've ever had? Yes. Okay. That pull them in the Hall of Fame. Next. Like what are like what are we waiting for? You know, it shouldn't it shouldn't be more complicated than that. And oftentimes the processes and everything around it just make these decisions more complicated than they need to be. But, Mitch, you know what pro- decision-making process is not complicated here on the Sports Hour? What's you that? know what we do with efficiency? What's that? Mount Rushmore. Oh, yes, absolutely, 100%. There's no frills. There's no frauds with the t- with the Mount Rushmore list. We just pick the four most iconic players from their given city. And this week, it is the city of Oakland. And... As, as just mentions for this, obviously this includes the Oakland Athletics. It includes the Oakland Raiders and the Raiders franchise as a whole. And it includes the Golden State Warriors who have spent the vast majority of their time in Oakland. Hence why they are being included 
into this list. I know they currently play in San Francisco. I know at one point they even were San Francisco. Majority in Oakland, they're counted in Oakland. So that is yeah. the contents of the list and anything else outside of that. Mitch. Well, and to be honest, they represent both cities anyway. So you can put them they in do. both. They do. They are the Bay Area. They're Golden State, I'm sure. But yes, well, but we included them in the Oakland portion. Okay. Yes. So, um, all right. Well, I guess where do we want to start this off? Well, um, how about you start off? Let's let's hear your first one. Let's see you lead you bat lead off. Okay. Uh so all right, well, I mean, I'm gonna get an easy way one out of the way then. Uh the easy one is Steph Curry. Yeah. First off. Yep. Uh unanimous MVP, uh, you know, uh winning three titles in Golden State so far. Uh, what else can you say? Even if he retired right now, he'd be probably the greatest warrior of all time. Uh, this is no brainer. Yeah, no, but hundred percent a no brainer. I had Steph Curry. Actually, that was the first name I wrote down with Steph Curry. Um, and he still has a lot of career left. So like, he's going to just further cement, you know, solidify himself on the Mount Rushmore. Um, so we both had Steph Curry. I'm gonna let's get the first ra- let's get the first Raider out of the way because I have I have two other guys that I think are gonna be I think we could talk about a little bit more. I'm gonna get Gene Upshaw on the Mount Rushmore of Oakland. Mm, okay. Um, the probably the greatest Raider of all time, um, a longtime Oakland Raider uh, offensive lineman. I feel like that there was a lot of people. He played from 1967 to 1981. Uh, he was also a leader of the. He was also a, a prominent figure of the United of uh, the uh, National Football League Players Association there for a while. Um, he just passed away. Uh, I think in the last. I think in the last five or six years. I don't have um, exactly when he passed away, but Hall of Famer enshrined in 1987. I feel like there are some Raiders there that. There are people going to put over him, guys like Marcus Allen or Kenny Stabler, um, Howie Long, uh, Jim Plunkett, guys that were maybe a little bit more prominent because they were the skill position. Tim Brown's another one. Um, these more prominent position players that in Oakland Raiders history. But uh, Gene Upshaw was kind of that consistent um, force for, for the Oakland Raiders, especially during their super successful run of that late 60s to early 80s. Yeah, no, I uh, I feel that, and I respect that, Mitch. I my Raider here on this list was not Gene Upshaw, uh, and one of the guys that you mentioned. I I went with uh, Ken Stabler. Mm, yeah, that's that's why I went with. Uh, and you know, as a li- listen, I'm sure Raiders fans feel certain types of way about this. If we were doing a Carolina Panthers Mount Rushmore, I would have very you know, specific feelings on certain players and who represents the franchise more. As an outsider, I say outsiders and not like a Raiders fan. Uh, you know, hard to judge these players, but you look at the quarterback, what he meant, wins an MVP, wins a Super Bowl, Hall of Famer. Uh, as far as the guy that stuck out in my mind from the Raiders, that was the guy that came to my mind the most. Ken Stabler, the other honorable mention, I guess, uh, that I also considered was uh, Marcus Allen, the Hall of Fame running back. Yeah. Uh, you know, 10 plus years with the Raiders and an MVP himself. Uh, but I did go with Ken Stable. That was that was the Raider that I chose. Well, speaking of honorable mention Raiders, the other one that I also did was Bo Jackson. 
Oh, and that was again another guy that I I I just didn't know how he fit on here. It was hard. It was hard to place because, him on here, and though well, I kind of wanted did, to. He didn't have the career volume. Obviously, he probably would have. Right. He would have been the greatest athlete we've ever seen. Um, had it not been for the hip the hip injury, but um, yeah, how do you fit Bo Jackson here? Because like in that three year span, he had so many iconic moments in just a three year span. Imagine what right. he would have done over fifteen years. You know, so. Um, you know, it's it was tough to fit him on there, but I had to give him a shout out on honorable mention because um, of just kind of his 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 spot in football lore, especially Raiders lore. Um, I had to fit uh, Bo Jackson in there somewhere, so I put him on the honorable mention. But. Okay, so here's an honorable mention. So you have Steph Curry, Gene Upshaw, Steph Curry, Ken Stabler. Who is the next guy? Uh, let's go to the to the Oakland A's. Who's the uh, any Oakland A's? Where do they end up on here? Okay, so first one I got a uh, pretty easy one for me. Ricky Henderson. Had to put Ricky Henderson on here. Um, All time stolen base leader um, with Oakland stole 867 of those bases. Uh, considered widely as the greatest leadoff hitter of all time, not just for his speed and ability to put the ball in play, um, but his uh, his ability to hit the ball for power. He ha- holds the record for most leadoff home runs um, in baseball history. Um, 288 career average with the A's to couple with a 407 on-base percentage, so also a very selective hitter. Um, walked almost 33% more times than he struck out. Um, with an OPS of 837, uh, Ricky Henderson and um, uh, his iconic moment with the A- iconic moments with the A's. Um, three different stints, but well, actually four different stints with the A's throughout the throughout the entirety of his career. Um, tough to tough to look away from. Yeah, no, Ricky Henderson was a tough one, and he ended up as an honorable mention for me. Uh, he was one that I definitely considered, but the Oakland A that I did go with Mitch was Mark McGuire. Oh, dude. Okay, so he's my fourth guy. So let's talk about him. Let's talk okay, about him. Okay, because I and, and 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 the A's one. It was hard. It was between Ricky Henderson and Mark McGuire. But I went with Mark McGuire because, uh, you know, obviously the gaudy home run numbers. We know what we, you know, you know what we, he he did. He was with Oakland for twelve years, and yes, some of his highest home run totals came in St. Louis after he left. But a long career in Oakland, part of the Bash Brothers days with Jose Canseco. Uh, you think. Think of just some of the best players in A's history, McGuire, Henderson. Those are the guys you think about. So for me, McGuire was the guy that I went with. I don't think either are wrong. I think both could definitely be included. So I I get you putting both of those guys on there. Yeah, Mark McGuire to me, this is like my protest moment of like steroid baseball era steroid era right like it doesn't matter that doesn't matter this guy still needs to be Mm -hmm. on this list like a hundred percent like it doesn't even matter who cares if he used steroids from like 1988 to 1997 or and through his cardinals years who cares this guy is is means so much to the oakland a's organization uh, the whole Bash Bros era, like as much as we would like to just see Jose Canseco go like go away because he's a he's a crazy person. Uh, Mark McGuire is the stable side of that Bash Brothers um, era in in Oakland, and um, yeah, hundred percent, he deserves to be on the Mount Rushmore. Yep. All right, so that's so you're for Steph Curry, Ricky Henderson, Mark McGuire, Gene Upshaw. I've got one more left, and and like. 
another iconic duo in Oakland in the Bash Brothers. I couldn't not include the other Splash Brother, Mitch. Oh. So I had to go with Clay Thompson to go along with my boy Steph Curry. And I know that that's going to be controversial because Clay Thompson is a Hall of Famer in my book. He's great, one of the greatest shooters. One of the greatest shooters I've ever seen shoot the basketball. May go down as one of the greatest in all of all time. Uh, what he has done in his short career already has been incredible. What he means for Golden State. They don't win all those championships without him. And what he contributed, not only on offense, but on defense, alongside Steph Curry. The perfect complement, the perfect number two to Steph Curry. Uh, They are, in my mind, synonymous with one another. So to include one, you must include the other. Uh, And therefore, I went with the Splash Brothers collectively on my Mount Rushmore. Here's what what needs to happen, though. And, And I don't hate that pick. I think that... There are more deserving names, but I don't. I don't hate putting Clay up there because he is part of that that whole Warriors run. He is basically, you know, the the other half of Steph Curry. Through that he whole is, time. in my mind, he is as much responsible for those finals as Steph Curry is. Sure. I, I, in my honest opinion, I really believe that he is equally as responsible. But when you chisel out that Mount Rushmore, you need to have Mark Mark McGuire on one side. Kenny Stabler on the other, and then you need to have the Splash Brothers in the middle. Of course. Right next to each other, kind of almost facing facing like diagonally across each other. Because, yes. Because you can't just put those guys on opposite ends, and no one's going to know who, they're, who they are. But if yeah, you they put gotta those be, two together, you're They like, go together. They're it, a it, pair. If they go together, you're like, oh, that's Steph and Clay. Okay, yeah, yes. I got it. So. Yeah. No, I. So that was. Yeah, I mean, that was my thinking there. And again, like Ricky Henderson, that was a guy I definitely thought of. Marcus Allen, Bo Jackson, some of my other honorable mentions. But uh, to me, the Splash Brothers era and what those two mean together to me, just I couldn't I could not keep them off. Uh, that's what I went with there. But these are, these are again, I'm glad we split Oakland and San Francisco because you look at these lists and those are some great, great players. And honestly, probably only Steph makes it in my mind if we do all of the Bay Area. Yeah, I think so. We so we would have missed out well, on talking about a lot of these guys, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think we would have. I mean, just to mention some of my other honorable mentions, Art Shell, uh, another great offensive lineman for the Oakland Raiders. Uh, John Madden. Uh, he, oh, yeah, Madden. Good he one. Brought that, he brought that Super Bowl to the city of uh, Oakland. And then also a very overlooked one, Reggie Jackson, was spent the majority of his career with the A's. But the, the the problem with that one is is most of his iconic moments came with the Yankees. Sure, so, right. And I thought about that one for a little bit too. But yeah, kind of ran into that like in the he, end. Like he but was, yes. he was like mm-hmm. he was like Coco Crisp. Like if you, if we're gonna like compare him to another ace player, what a Crisp. great what a great name by the way. Oh, what God. an all time sports name, Coco Crisp. Oh, Covelli Crisp. Is that Covelli is 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 his. Real I mean, that's a cereal, so. right? He is named for his name is a cereal, basically. I mean, that's incredible. It it, it actually is. I'm pretty sure. Like that's that's insane. Yeah, that's like having a guy named Lucky Charm. I don't know. Like Lucky that's crazy. Last, you know, we don't appreciate that enough. Coco Crisp doesn't get talked is, about you know, enough. It's really Daniel Charm, but everyone calls him Lucky. So <laughs> right, exactly. <Yeah. laughs> Daniel Lucky Charm, exactly. Yes. <laughs> that guy's like a safety. That guy's a safety, and he probably plays for Notre Dame. That's that's he's how that works. He's a safety. Works. He's a white guy, and he has exactly. Like, yep. He has five good years in the NFL, and yep, then yep. Um, he's just a big name ad for six other teams to round out his career. <laughs> That's beautiful. 
Daniel Lucky Char. Oh, man. <laughs> That's a good Incredible. one. That's a good one. Incredible stuff. All right, Mitch, well, these are great Mount Rushmore. So to go through this uh, one more time, I have Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Mark McGuire, and Ken Stabler on my Mount Rushmore for the city of Oakland. For Mitch, Steph Curry, Gene Upshaw, Mark McGuire, and Ricky Henderson. That's some good variation. I think that's the most we've differed on a list so far. Yeah, only two of the same. Yeah, Steph Curry, Mark yeah. McGuire. So I think you're right. Do you want to do San Francisco next week? Yes. Yeah, we're going to do San Francisco next okay. week. We have to. We yeah. have to. Have to stay in the Bay Area. So let's do San Francisco yeah. next week. No doubt. No doubt. We'll uh, we'll finish out the Bay Area uh, with that next week. Before we wrap up, no picks this week, obviously. Uh, only thing going on in football this weekend is the Pro Bowl celebration. Because there's no Pro Bowl game. And somehow they're going to do a TV event for a couple hours. In lieu of the Pro Bowl, Mitch, and I have negative interest in this. Yeah. I have so little interest, I have negative interest in watching that. Like, can't they at least just do the skills competition so I have something to watch? Like, or just have these guys play Madden, and I'd watch them do that before I watch whatever that's the hell they're going to put on bad, ESPN. That's not a bad idea, actually. <laughs> yeah, like get the top eight Madden players from the Pro Bowl. All right tournament time that wouldn't be actually I, a bad I mean, i'd watch that yeah i'd watch that i'd watch that before whatever the hell they do on sunday Celebration. But, was know. it just gonna be like two hours of shitty lady gaga and taylor swift songs like come on no it'll probably be all these yeah who knows it'll be some weird I just program be like a Amanda, music awards uh, thing like because because it's exactly what it'll be i, I think that's, that's exactly what, what it'll be I that's what right. sucks yeah. it's like, this could have been re- this could be really cool i don't know if it will be but the the prospects what they ought high. to have done is do the NFL awards and the Pro Bowl at the same this time. Week. Yes. And yes. then have Steve Harvey host it again because Steve Harvey's the best host. Yeah. So Steve Harvey's great. Yeah, I mean he's he's the best out of anyone else that's done it. So it's the only reason why Family Feud still exists. Steve Harvey is the man. He is and the, oversized suit makers. He is the freaking man. He he's the only one that can pull off a purple suit. That's true. It's true, except for Prince. And he has glorious mustache. I mean, I'd kill for a Steve Harvey mustache. Top 10 mustache in history. That's for I sure. I think top five. Top five mustache of all time. Pro- probably probably true. Mitch Moe's top five true. mustaches of all time. Steve Harvey's making that list. So. <laughs> Mount Rushmore mustaches. Okay. okay. All right. Uh, <laughs> okay. Okay. We're uh, before, too far in the weeds. There we go. Before we wrap up, uh, I have to do my punishment without, no, despite no picks, I have to do my punishment. Uh, and Mitch has given me a task. I've prepared a statement. <clears throat> yeah. I'm not excited about this. Uh, Mitchell, please begin the music now, for remem- Mitch. Re- remember to start it correctly. Uh, oh, dear and benevolent Mitch. Is that, is that like official? Oh, dear and benevolent King Mitchmo. Yes. I'm, I'm writing this down. Yes. Uh, okay. So, how do you benevolent King King Mitchmo? Yes, that's what, uh, yeah. Can I call you Lord Mitchmo? Sure, yeah. I like that better. Okay. Okay, <clears throat> okay now Mitchell, hit the all music. Right. Start it over, hit the music again. Okay, all right, all right. Great, great. Started it over. We're ready to go. I'm talking over music now. It's wonderful. Okay. <clears throat> oh, dear and benevolent Lord Mitchmo. Yes. The Orlando Bubble. Oh, was the easiest path to the Larry O'Brien Trophy in NBA history. Mm. 
No home court advantage. No traveling to games. No constant media presence. Safe and comfortable in your nice hotel rooms. Shuttled back and forth to the arena, having your every whim catered to. Seems nice, right? The 2020 NBA title by the Los Angeles Lakers, Mitch, was the easiest championship ever. It shouldn't even be recognized with all other NBA champs. Oh, yes! It deserves an asterisk. Oh, asterisk time! I love it! Mitch, this brooding redwood of a man, a majestic emperor among us measly peasants, Thor with his Samson hair among feeble and weak mortal men. La Crybaby and the unibrowed flopper. Frank Vogel looking like a divorced dad on the sideline of his son's games. Holy crap, yeah. An illegitimate title for the Lakers. Oh! Go, King Slap, King Slap, yes! Oh, yes! Woo! Satisfied. Dallin, my friend, you have paid your debt wonderfully and for that you are now out of the pit of misery oh yes you were out of the pit of misery good to be free baby dallin you have done i i told you you would have to nail it and my friend you nailed it you spat absolute bars you are out of the pit of misery my friend well done well Well thank you done I mean, Penance that's going to be a that is going to be a tough performance to repeat. But you know, everyone has their career day. Everyone that has is their true. career day. I hit a career high today. Holy smokes! No, it it pains me to say, and I disagree with it all. But hey, I said it. So what can you do? <laughs> and it got me out of the pit of misery, and it feels good because I hated being down there with well, all now, the people up, up, that up, I up, truly up, despise. Now, are you were you just saying it because? You wanted to get out of the pit of misery. Mitch, you can't make me truly believe the things you make me say. I hope you understand that. Dallin, I will Dallin, sit here I on this podcast Dallin, and I, I didn't will have hair. them, but I cannot be forced to believe them. Fine, fine, fine. No, no. It was a fantastic performance on your part. Thank fantastic, you. Thank you. Fantastic. I was just trying to get a little oh, bit more man. out of it if I could, but you know. I know. Not gonna work. work, It's all good. It's all good. Next week, I'll have to bring the fire again, and we will be bringing the fire with a Super Bowl preview, Super Bowl fun facts, breaking down the matchup, obviously giving our takes on who will win the big game, and everything else surrounding it. We're gonna bring out all the stops next week for the Super Bowl, so be sure to look forward to that episode. And if you don't already subscribe to the podcast. You can find us on Anchor at anchor.fm slash the sports hour, guys. Uh, you can listen to this podcast anywhere that you can listen to a podcast Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, wherever you go to listen to podcasts. You can find the Sports Hour, uh, and we'd appreciate you not only uh, as you listen there, but subscribe. Uh, and leave a rating and a review and tell us what you think because we'd love to hear from you, right, Mitch? Yeah, I mean, let's be honest here, Dallin. I mean, next week is a 
big week. It's Super Bowl week, baby. And if there is no better time to get involved in the conversation than right now. So make sure you get on Anchor and be a part of the conversation. Ask a question. It will get on this show. Because guess what? It's all Super Bowl next week, baby. So you have a question. We'll answer it. You can also make sure to go follow us on our socials. That's Instagram at the Sports Hour Guys. You can follow us on Twitter at Sports Hour Guys. Go ahead, listen to us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Go on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, a review, tell us we suck. That is the only way that we can get better, right, D? It's so true. It's so true, guys. We appreciate you sticking around, listening to the Sports Hour today. We hope you enjoy the rest of your week. Uh, A football this weekend, unfortunately, but the big game, the one we care most about, Coming to us in a week, Tom Brady versus Patrick Mahomes. It will be a fun time, and we'll be here to give you all you need ahead of it next week. So stick around for the next episode next week. Mitchell, edit this out. Damn it. Leave it in. Stick around. Stick around? For what? The podcast is over, Dallin. Yeah, it's over. What are you sticking around for? Don't worry. I'll close it out for you, D. We'll catch you next week. This one's for Kobe. See ya. See ya.